to ransomware victims, seeking help may save you money, and advice from the High Priestess of Privacy. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. Can all work and no payday make ransomware attackers crazy? One imagines no amount of rage in the offices of the Black Matter gang in recent months as it found that a large number of its victims simply weren't paying a ransom. The culprit, it turns out, was New Zealand's security firm MCSoft, which found a flaw in the ransomware that enabled them to decrypt victims' files. Joining me to discuss is Matthew Schwartz, executive editor of Data Breach Today and Europe. Very good to see you, Matt. Great to see you, Anna. So Matt, this isn't the first time we've seen flaws in ransomware get exploited by the forces of good, is it? Exactly. It turns out that despite their status as today's top cybercrime bogeyman, ransomware developers are human as well. They make mistakes too, especially when it comes to trying to get the encryption right for their malware. This is really difficult. And I mean, we've seen this for you know, non-criminal applications as well, security software, even password managers will flub the crypto. So when this happens, of course, with ransomware, it gives us an opportunity. But the challenge is when the good guys find this flaw, how do they best make use of it? Sometimes security firms will build and release a free decryptor. But in the cat and mouse game that's malware, the ransomware developers will typically reverse engineer the decryptor see what they did wrong and fix it. So all future victims then lose this get out of jail for free card. Now in the case of DarkSide, MZSoft says it found an error last December that lasted for about a month before another firm released a free decryptor and that led the DarkSide gang to update their code. But when DarkSide reappeared in July as Black Matter, MZSoft found another flaw that persisted until recently when attackers apparently figured out again, they made a mistake. But MCSoft says for that, as long as this flaw persisted, they were watching the data leak site being used by the ransomware gang where they tried to name and shame victims. And then MCSoft was using this victim list to contact the victims and say, guess what? We can help you decrypt your files without having to pay your attackers. Now, MCSoft says this wasn't free. They do a flat fee thing where they have to customize the decryptor they create for each victim or system. So in light of the flaw found in Black Matter, what's the key takeaway for future ransomware victims? The answer is simple. Always ask for help. And it's funny. I spoke with MCSoft Chief Technology Officer Fabian Voser earlier this year, and he made that point exactly without, of course, mentioning the fact that they had been helping dark side victims on the QT. Fabian always urged victims to see what kind of help might be available especially if they were considering paying a ransom to try to get their data back. Here's Fabian. Honestly, I have seen quite a couple of cases where uh, ransoms were paid, even though it wasn't necessary. And that always pains me greatly, since, as I mentioned before, I dedicated the past 10 years of my life essentially to kind of ruin the entire ransomware business models for threat actors. And then companies paying, um, even if it's just like 100,000 US dollars, it, it just pains me. So for help, you can look for a reputable ransomware firm or other qualified expert. Contact law enforcement, the FBI in the States. Here in Scotland, we've got the Scottish Business Resilience Center. They've got contacts. They'll get the ball rolling. If you've got cyber insurance, then you're going to start there. You're required to do so typically for coverage. 
but your insurer will work out who's good. It'll have a long list of good firms that it's vetted that'll help you get up and running quickly with your response. MZSoft, meanwhile, also offers a free consultation. You just go on their website and there's a form you can fill out. They'll tell you how and if they can help. They can maybe also make connections. That's something that another reputable firm, for example, there's one called Coveware, which handles thousands of ransomware cases per quarter, has a lot of extensive intelligence now about different operations. And if paying a giving gang a ransom is likely to result in you're getting a decryptor that works, or if there's a workaround where you don't have to pay. So if you do fall victim, it's really important that you only use out of band communications, no work systems, no work emails. Maybe you make a fresh Gmail account and only access it via a brand new smartphone, for example, because if attackers have broken into the corporate network, they have the ability to monitor anything that's going on. And we've seen it before. For example, a ransomware victim will get its cyber insurance firm to agree to pay up to a million dollars in a ransom. And so the victim goes back and says to the ransomware attacker, okay, we'll give you 500,000. And the attacker comes back and says, really? Because you're authorized to give us a million. I think we'll take that instead, please. So moral of the story, if you've fallen victim, don't keep playing into a ransomware gang's hands. Exactly. Not to always cite the Beatles, but we all get by with a little help from our friends. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. How would Lisa Soto, aka the High Priestess of Privacy, as referred to by some of her clients, recommend you safeguard your data to reduce the chances of falling victim to potential liabilities associated with inadequate privacy and data security practices? Well, Soto, partner and chair of the Global Privacy and Cybersecurity Practice at Hunt and Andrews Curve LLP, shared some timely advice with our senior vice president of editorial, Tom Field. You can watch the full interview on November the 9th and 10th at our upcoming New York Virtual Summit. But for now, here's a taster. I think first I would counsel um, to know your data. Of course, we, we talk a lot about the crown jewels and understanding where your crown jewels are. That is so important. And there are so many organizations that still don't really know that. The other thing is that you, you can't put the same security safeguards around all your data or you're just going to tie up operations. So you really do need to protect the crown jewels in a more robust way than you protect some of the other non-critical data. We also want to understand data flows. Where is data going within the organization? What are you collecting it? What are the sources of data? How are you using it? To whom are you disclosing it? And how are you discarding it and securely destroying it at the end of the day? So we want to understand the data lifecycle, cradle to grave, again, of those, of those crown jewels. Having an inventory of third parties that have access to your data. We've heard, unfortunately, from so many organizations, they really don't have a good inventory of third-party recipients of data. You really can't control your data, whether it's business confidential information or personal information, you can't control your data if you don't know what third parties have access to that data. I would also say doing both security and privacy impact assessments is, is just critical for new initiatives or material changes in existing initiatives, because it forces you to go through that exercise of thinking through how systems, how data 
will be protected either from a security perspective or privacy perspective over the life cycle of that initiative. And then finally, I would urge companies to think about putting in place an accountability framework. How will you be accountable, responsible for the data in your circle? You are entrusted with this information. How are you going to make sure you're protecting it both from a security and a privacy perspective? And finally, here's a question. Could the remote working model be a less easy target for cyber attackers to exploit than when we were mostly all on-prem? At our Virtual Africa Cybersecurity Summit earlier this week, Chris Budnick, Group CISO for First Rand Bank, told Supana Goswami, Associate Editor for ISMG Asia, that as our attack surface has increased, that may not necessarily be a bad thing. Just from my own perspective, up until the time that we all shifted our way of work, our focus with respect to protecting uh, our organization has been very straightforward. Manage our perimeter, manage our internal environment, and our attack surface was very much concentrated to the organization itself, maybe some third-party issues and some suppliers. But generally, the data was resident within the organization, the users were resident within the organization, and we had a fairly concentrated attack surface. Now that might sound like a very nice safe way to operate, but it's also a concentration of risk and any uh, breach in one of those areas resulted in quite uh, significant, very fast moving contagion. So let's fast forward a little bit. Now we have our workforce distributed across the city or multiple cities or even sometimes multiple countries. They're working from, you know, very unsteady connections, you know, through their local ISPs. And as a consequence, what we have actually done is we've spread our uh, attack surface quite widely. Yes, one could argue that that is an attack surface that is therefore become much larger. But the reality is that it's much harder to target any one individual and assume that they're always going to be on, that they're always going to be available in order to use them as a conduit into the organization. So from an attack surface perspective, I think the remote working scenario is actually created counterintuitively a somewhat uh, less easy target for uh, cyber attackers to exploit. That's it from the ISMG Security Report. The music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time. Thank you.